will be looking at Acts 24, and I'm going to cover the whole chapter, if you'd like to turn there. We'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Lord and our God, uh, give us ears to hear what you would want us to hear from this recorded portion of Scripture from years and years ago, Lord. Reveal to our hearts what the early church has taught the believers as a pattern for us, Lord. I just pray that all of us have open hearts and I pray that you protect my mouth, that I represent you properly in this text. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now just read a little bit. Acts 24, and after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, you may be seated. You know, as we continue on in the book of Acts, we see the the perils of Paul continuing. Just a refresher, Paul was warned by his companions through the power of the Holy Spirit that he would suffer in Jerusalem, he would be bound, he would be tied, he would be imprisoned. And it was by the accusation of the Jews who came from Asia Minor, most likely Ephesus, that this occurred. Remember, they accused him falsely of bringing Trophimus, a Greek, into the temple. And the Jews, without a trial, were nearly beating Paul to death. However, Lysias, the Roman official, rescues Paul three times. He sends them off to Felix the governor in Caesarea to save Paul's life because there's a plot to kill him. And he's under heavy guard. I think it was over 400 Roman soldiers. But Paul is moving up the power structure of Rome. And we know why as believers because in Acts 23 it tells us the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the fact about facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So all these steps, all these perils that Paul is going through are all designed by God to bring him to Rome to testify to the Roman emperors about Christianity. Paul was a suffering servant, but he was also one who was to testify against these rulers. So Paul is not out on a limb by himself. In all these perils, God is with him. The Holy Spirit is with him. This is the Holy Spirit is with us. In good times and bad. It's to bring us to maturity. And when we're faithful to God, he uses even the difficulty in our difficulties in our life to advance his kingdom. 
And many times we cannot connect the dots. But these trials, these perils we go through are to mature us and to depend on God. And now as we get into the text, you know, the, Paul's accusers, they tra- travel 60 miles to Caesarea. I mean, it's amazing what the wicked will do to try to silence Paul. You know, we've seen through his missionary journeys how they dogged him all over, accusing him, trying to silence him. Also, just a note, I will mention some historians. One will be Tacitus, and the other one is Josephus, so I don't mention them by names. They're both respected historians of that era, highly respected for their accuracy. So the first verse, and after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They're coming down to Caesarea, and they bring along one of their top guns, the prosecuting attorney named Tertullus. And this guy would be their spokesman. But notice they don't have witnesses. They're not bringing witnesses. They're just bringing a a hired gun, a smooth talker, to try to get their case resolved before the governor. They laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had summoned Tertullus, began to accuse him, saying, Okay, I want you to realize as we get into his opening statement, this is just going to be ripe with hypocrisy and lies. You can tell this guy is lying because his mouth is moving. We know the Jews were under heavy occupation by the Romans. They hated the Romans. The Romans were destroying their land. Kept them under complete control. There was more and more rebellion under this Felix because he was such a heavy-fisted ruler. And the Jews hated the situation they were in. But listen to what this turtleist says. Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms have been made for this nation. In every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. <laughs> Let's see, we're under heavy Roman rule. They kill us whenever they want. And under Felix, the historians said, that his peace, his Pax Romana, peace of Rome, was making a desert out of their nation. Remember, this was an arid land. It took a lot of work to produce crops, to build canals, to plant trees, and the Romans were destroying all of this to keep the Jews suppressed where they could just eke out a living. And yet this guy says we accept all this with gratitude. I mean, this guy is a classic suck-up to power. 
just a, a classic suck up. Again, this was once very productive land through hard work. And now they're eking out a living because of the Roman and their wickedness. And Felix caused much of the hatred because he did rule with such a heavy hand. So after sucking up the Felix, this turtleus gives his version of the truth concerning the accusations against Paul. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among the Jews throughout the world, and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple. But we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. Again, this guy's a smooth talker. No witnesses. And he uses inflammatory words. Gee, we don't hear any of them in our day, do we? He's a ringleader. He's a plague. And he tried to profane the temple. Notice how the accusation changed. Remember in front of Lysias, it was he took Trophimus into the temple. Now they're saying, well, he tried to take a guy into the temple. Why the change? It was the character of Felix that changed it. Felix would have many people crucified. Many Jews crucified, especially if it disturbed the Roman peace. But also under Roman law, if you brought false accusations, there could be heavy penalties. And under Felix, a heavy penalty could be death. Felix understood Roman law, he understood Jewish law. He was married to a Jew at this time. So these guys, they didn't want to say anything that wasn't true. Like he took this guy into the temple. If it was proven that they didn't, it was their head that would be on the block. Felix was wicked, cruel, but he was an adult. He was wickedly wise. Right away he would have noticed there's no witnesses. Roman law demanded witnesses. There were no witnesses because nobody wanted to put their head on the block because they knew Felix was ruthless. And if he found out they're lying, there would be severe consequences. But nonetheless, this brood of vipers, as Jesus called them from the Sanhedrin, agreed with the accusations. The Jews also joined in charge, affirming that all these things were so. All these things were so. No witnesses, but all these things were so. But you see, now in Rome... Paul had a good advantage. He could speak and they couldn't silence him. They couldn't start beating him to death 
if they disagreed with what he said. Because in Roman law, there were witnesses and then there were counter-witnesses. So even when the wicked follow God's law, which says there should be witnesses on both sides, justice is somewhat served. Paul could speak freely. And these Jews dared not silence him in front of Felix. Paul doesn't suck up to Felix like Tertullus did. He just acknowledges him for who he is. And when the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogue or the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. Paul's defense says, hey, I've only been in Jerusalem for 12 days. How could I be starting a riot? How could I be stirring up these people? But remember, Paul is a brilliant man. He's saying, how can they even prove this? They have no witnesses, is what he's saying. They can't prove anything. And again, both Roman law and Jewish law demanded witnesses. Two or three witnesses, remember? Paul also will share a biblical truth with his accusers and to the Roman officials. And this is one thing we see in Paul. He was bold. No matter where he was, no matter who he was in front, he used God's law, God's truths. A perfect lesson for us. No matter who we stand before, God's law rules even in their lives. They need to hear God's truth. He tells us, but this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Paul believes in the resurrection. He believes in Jesus. He believes in the Messiah. And the evidence he uses is Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament. Again, a great lesson for us. The Old Testament is important in witnessing. The law is important in witnessing. People will be judged, the just and the unjust. There will be a resurrection. The knowledge of sin brings people to the desire for grace. Paul just affirms the importance of the Old Testament and the acceptance acceptance of Jesus as the Messiah, which the Old Testament points to. It's a tough truth. It's a truth. Remember, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so I imagine they were biting their tongues right now. But also, it's a warning to Felix. 
there will be judgment for all men, both the just and the unjust. And Paul continues on, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon, remember that. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. How can we as believers have a clean conscience before God and man? We must represent God properly and use the whole counsel of God. The law of God brings men to repentance. It must be part of our witnessing. We must love our God more than our reputation, more than the danger it may put us in, or people frowning on us, looking down on us, because we love God's law. But the only way we can truly love people sincerely and honestly and with a clean heart is when we present God properly to them. That is loving your neighbor as yourself. That is giving you that clear conscience toward both God and man. When our conscience is clear according to God's law, it will be clear according to man. Man may hate us. But when we present the truth, all the truth, we are loving our neighbor. You know, Tertullus got that right. He said, we're a pest, we're a plague. For we have found this man a plague. You know, every time we proclaim God's truth, we are a pest to the unrepentant world. Do you think all the news and all the drag shows that are going on and how popular that has become all of a sudden? Do you think they like hearing us say it's not according to God's law that they're sinning? We're a pest to them. They're even saying some churches are having drag shows in the churches. How pleasing is that to God? I mentioned earlier, our denomination was a pest to the synod. Oh, there they go again, bringing up something else. No, we're pestering them to stay within God's law. We call homosexuality sin. We're a pest to them. We're a pest to the abortionists who want to keep killing children. God's law is written on their hearts. Yeah, many of them seared it. But when we remind them of God's law, it's an irritant to them because they know that it's true. We must, we must be a pest to people with God's law. And believe me, no matter how accurate we are with God's law and how sincere we are at heart, 
that were concerned about their salvation, there will be people who think we're a plague because they love their sin more than they love God's law. It's amazing how these Jews love their occupiers and praise them because they hated God's law more. We have found this man a plague. You know, in 2 Corinthians 2.14, it says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life, who is sufficient for these things. We are a stench to those who do not love God. We smell like the dead deer when you drive by laying along the road. They hate it. They hate God's word. It's a pest to their sinful lives. And it challenges them. But for those who are being saved, we are the sweet aroma of life. But it's God's word that changes the hearts. We're to lay it out there, whether people consider us a pest or a blessing. We're called to be faithful to God. And Paul gives his defense, continues with his defense, by giving one of the reasons he came to Jerusalem. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. Remember, Paul took up this offering from the Gentiles to help the Jewish church in Jerusalem. The Jews were under persecution in Jerusalem, not only from the Sanhedrin, the Jews, the non-believing Jews, but also the Romans. They needed funding. You became a Christian, you were kicked out of the Jewish community. It was like the Amish community when they shun you. They won't do business with you. But also, Paul knew that the Gentile church needed to demonstrate their love to the Jewish church because remember, for years and years, the Jews thought the Gentiles were dogs, half-breeds, not worthy of the kingdom. But now you have the Jewish, or the Gentile believers bailing out the Jewish church, helping them. It was unity that was needed. And Paul brought that gift, making it clear that it was the Gentiles who were sending it. Also, he took a vow of purification. This was to demonstrate that he believed in the Jewish rituals, the Jewish laws as he was accused of breaking all of them, breaking the Mosaic laws. He was just clearly interpreting them to what they truly meant. He says, while I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. 
but some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Paul was peacefully trying to get along with the Jews. Remember they had a plan, the Jewish Christians said, Paul, you know, you should do this. Make sure that the Jews see that you're following the Mosaic law. But then these Jews that hated him, that dogged him everywhere from Asia, came and made accusations. But again, Paul's an educated man. Remember, he was educated by one of the greatest Jewish teachers. So he brings up, hey, you know, uh, everything they're saying about me is just hearsay from these Jews that came up from Asia Minor. And he says, shouldn't they be here? Shouldn't they be here as witnesses if they have the accusations? Again, Paul understood the laws, and he knew that Felix wasn't a dope. Felix understood the laws. Right away, a red flag would have went up. Where are the witnesses? But Paul takes it even a step further. He says, or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. You know, Paul knows his rights. And now he's looking at the Sanhedrin, Ananias, and the, his brood of vipers that came down. He's saying, okay, you guys witness before this guy. You get on the witness stand. But they won. They didn't want to lose their head. If they couldn't prove what they were accusing of him, of Felix, because he was a tyrant, might just kill them. I think by now this brood of vipers wants to crawl under a rock just to keep their heads and get out of there. They have no witnesses, no case, and they have no credibility. Paul does admit causing a fight among the Sanhedrin by mentioning the resurrection. However, that's a biblical truth. And that tension between that body had been going on for years. And Felix would know this. He was married to a Jew. His third wife was a Jew. It tells us, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. So what Felix is saying, I'm going to bring in a witness. I'll bring in Lysia. The other Roman official who rescued Paul a few times and see what he has to say. Because right now there's no witnesses. There's no case. You know, Lysias would not make it down to Caesarea to meet with Felix, because Felix would be replaced. Because a new emperor would be in charge. Claudius would die and a new emperor would come into power. His name was Nero. 
He was nicknamed the Beast. History records have records him as actual, actually one of the most brutal men that ever served. The Beast. Killed many Christians. But you know what he also did? Nero did? He removed Felix from power. Because he felt Felix was too brutal. So you can imagine, and I think you can understand why even these Jewish leaders would not make false accusations because they wanted to keep their heads because Felix was so brutal that the new emperor, who is nicknamed the Beast, had him removed because of his brutality. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending his needs. So basically it was house arrest. He had to be with the soldiers where his friends could come and go. And if you were thrown in prison or held, the Romans wouldn't feed you. If you didn't have friends or relatives who would come and feed you, you starved when you were in prison. But this way he said, no, they can come and go. They can meet all his needs. And after some day, days, Felix came with his wife Priscilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. So Felix is now meeting with Paul. Again, he knew about the way, so maybe he was inquiring more about it. And Paul told him about the way, but notice what Paul starts with. The law and the coming judgment. You will be judged. You're guilty of sin. Felix decided to go away. Probably because he didn't like what Paul was saying, but also his heart was in another place. It says, at the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. Felix loved bribes. The historians record it. He absolutely loved being bribed by the Jewish businessmen, the Jewish leaders. He loved money. And Paul, some feel that his family was wealthy that maybe he could extract some money from them or because Paul was the ringleader of the sect, maybe he could get some funds from Paul and his followers. But Felix's intention was to get money. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. You can imagine what those conversations were. Paul sharing the truth. And Felix saying, hey, you know, you got a little extra cash. I can get you out of this situation. Just come up with some money. 
much like many of our politicians of the day. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. You see what happened is now Paul or Felix was sucking up to the Jews. He was so brutal in putting down anything against the Romans, killing so many Jews that the Jews kept going to the emperor, sending delegations to the emperor complaining about Felix's brutality. And now when he hears he's going to be replaced, he's trying to suck up to the Jews by leaving Paul in prison to try and appease their anger against him. Notice how these wicked people just care about themselves and their own well-being. The result is Paul is left in prison after two years of witnessing not only to Felix, but the Roman guards. Paul kept being faithful. And that's what we have to learn. Think of the situation that Paul was in, the, the nation, the Jewish nation, an occupied nation. The Jews hated the Christians. The Romans hated the Christians. Yet the church grew. And it grew because faithful men like Paul used the law of God to convict people of sin. There wasn't any of this, oh, Jesus loves you and has a great plan for your life. It was, no, you're a sinner and you're in need of repentance. And when you repent, God will use you and it may not be that great. I don't think it was that great for Paul right now. Or even in the past. But he continued to be faithful. And I think that's the lesson for us. Witness with the law of God. Be a pest. Use the God of law. The God of law which sinners despise. But for those who will come to safe faith, who will smell that aroma of life, it is the life fragrance. It's the law of God. Our nation, our society is not so far gone that this church and any other church can keep growing when we use God's word properly as Paul did. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, as we go on in our Christian walk in this time of history, in this portion of the world, let us be faithful to you. Let us be a pest to the people that are sinning and expose their sin. Said your word is to be used to rebuke. It's to be loving rebuke with all us toward the heart of repentance, Lord. Give us the boldness of Paul and also the loving nature of Paul who said that he'd he'd give up his own salvation for his kinsmen if they would come to God. But when you love someone, you share the truth. The truth about God's law, the whole counsel of God. Teach us to be such a people 